Hello, and welcome to the Artsy Podcast, where three editors take you around the art world. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by Galleries Editor Casey Lesser. Hey, Isaac. Hey, Casey. And wow, after a long absence, Affairs and Associate Features Editor Molly Gottschalk is back with us. Hey, Isaac. It's good to be back. This week, we're going to be talking about Casey's article, How to Start a Gallery in Your Apartment, which kind of looked at uh, the challenges and rewards that come with opening up an exhibition space in your home. This is hardly a new trend, and there's sort of a long history of alternative exhibition spaces that are linked to starting a gallery in your apartment, which we're also going to talk about. So Casey, can you give us a little bit of background? Yeah, so the history that really speaks to what exactly is going on today kind of traces most accurately to the 50s and 60s, um, what was going on in New York around 57th Street. A lot of dealers like Leo Castelli um, and like the Green Gallery, these were galleries that were based in apartments. Castelli turned his living room into his apartment, but um, really you know, people living with art and having people come to their homes and see art is something that's been going on for centuries. So this really isn't something that's new. So what makes it interesting and worth covering right now? So the apartment gallery is something that's been written about multiple times over the past year. And I think that story had been told, you know, that there are young people, artists, opening up their homes to their friends, to artists that inspire them to show their work in this intimate setting. But what I was really interested in were the practical aspects. Um, So what do you need to do to be able to start this in your own home? Are artists open to working this way? And what kind of goals do you need to have? What should your mission be? And and you spoke to galleries from all over the world for this. So it's not just a New York uh, phenomena. Totally. Um, I spoke to galleries in Milan, Mexico City, New York, L.A., and Berlin. Were there any sort of significant differences between what it was like to start a gallery in each one of those cities? Totally. Um, Well, to be fair, the Milan gallery is more of a traditional commercial gallery, but the owner was inspired by the idea of setting it in an apartment, and that's actually... um, The design community has a strong tradition of apartment galleries because, as you would expect, furniture works very well in it. Um, But um, when you compare, let's say, New York and Berlin, real estate is obviously a huge factor. So, for example, um, the gallery that I spoke to in Berlin is actually the gallery that belongs to a colleague of ours at Artsy, Max Schreier. So full disclosure there. Um, Thank you for the honesty. (laughs) So he um, and his wife have this uh, apartment gallery called Aunt Linda. He let me know that, you know, finances weren't really in play here because for the same amount of money that they're spending on that extra room, they could have rented out a more traditional space. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, whereas that would never happen in New York. And two... so. Two of my apartments could fit in this room. I've been there. It's incredible, the space that you can get in Berlin. I'm very, this is making me a little sad, but that's that's cool that they can use, use that sort of the price of real estate uh, to their advantage. Yeah, but so, and then in New York, the gallery that I spoke to um, is called Teen Party, run by Scott Indrasek and Ariella Gitlin, um, and they found themselves with an extra bedroom. 
spare bedroom, so they decided to start this gallery in theirs. And there was actually an opening there on Tuesday night. Is that right? Correct. I wanted to go, but I couldn't because I was having dinner with my mom. That's too bad. Yeah, I really, I hear I really missed out. But you guys both, you both went, right? How was it? I did. And how, how does like how how are the how's the experience of going to an opening at, at Teen Party maybe different than uh, the experience of going to like a normal gallery opening? What I think is really great is it's so welcoming. You're going into someone's home. It was raining Tuesday night, so you get there. It's, you're soaking wet. They take your coat. They offer you a beer. Um, your friends are around, uh, they have a fire pit in the backyard. So after you've seen the art, you can sort of step outside and talk to people and mingle. And it's, it's an experience that you want to stay a while different than some galleries where you sort of breeze through, see the art and you're on your way. Mm -hmm. And, and how do you think that that benefited the works on, on view? Did you sort of spend more time with them? I mean, how did it sort of change the actual art viewing experience? So you're seeing it in the context of a home, which is really interesting. Um, the room where the work is shown um, is presented like a traditional gallery space, but it's right next to their living room. So you're seeing the um, artwork that they collect. You're seeing the way their home is decorated. It's sort of seamlessly. Um, yeah, it's like very much integrated into their home. And when they're not having openings like this, it is their home office. So it's, you know, a really nice experience, especially if you don't have art of your own to see what it's like to live with art and to kind of have this new view of what an art exhibition can look like. So the artist was actually there at the opening, right? Right. So that's another um, great part about this. Um, the artist, Mark Hundley, he was there. And I just think it's it's nice to be in someone's home and um, have a chance to talk to other people about the work. And, you know, we were there for at least an hour. Um, it's, it's a more comfortable setting. Totally. So I want to get back a little bit more to the nuts and bolts that you kind of explore in your piece, Casey. How does opening a gallery in your home kind of differ from opening a traditional gallery space, you know, in terms of even something like whether or not you make money. And I mean, I think the, the proliferation of these spaces could lead some people to say, Hey, that sounds like a good idea. Like I want to open a gallery in my apartment, but it's really not easy. And you know, there is low overhead if you do have like an extra bedroom, but it really requires a lot of legwork and kind of a network. Most of the people I did speak to are in the art world already, and they have these connections to artists, and you have to really kind of walk a fine line between um, making sure you're doing right by the artist and that, you know, you're giving them good exposure, but, um, you know, you really have to keep in mind that there aren't going to be a lot of sales. The people who go into these aren't doing it to make money. It's because they have a passion for art and for these artists. I mean, Casey, when I was editing this piece, I remember finding it really interesting what you said about financially going into this arrangement. You know, you're not necessarily able to count on making money right away on sales. Um, some For some people, it's more important than others. Maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, So with Teen Party, they ended up selling two of the works, but it was totally unexpected. It was from a a collector in Colorado who they think found the show online or on Instagram or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think to go into this, you kind of know that it's really kind of a creative project and, you know, it's about a meaningful experience with art. 
um, you know, for our colleague Max, he has this business plan where if a work does sell, all of those profits go to the artist because, you know, he just didn't feel that it was right to take any of that money. Um, but in return, they asked that the artist give them a work. So that's kind of a, a nice way to, a nice compromise. And it's great for them and that they're building their own art collection. For um, the, the gallery in LA, uh, Del Vaz projects, um, he works with these really amazing young artists like Jesse Reeves and Max Hooper Schneider. So these are artists that have a lot of interest and have collectors that are avidly following their work. But for him also, it's not about the profits. You know, he, he puts a lot of money into putting on a really high quality show. So I think the one most important question that I've forgotten to ask and I feel like I've, I've failed as a host is where does the name Teen Party come from? <laughs> so Teen Party is funny. Ariel was telling me that it, it kind of sounds like a party that's happening after prom with no alcohol in a church basement. Um, but then at the same time, it's taking a jab at the art world and our obsession with young artists and 30 under 30, you know, this publication included. And so they thought it would be kind of, you know, a fun name, but also kind of an interesting title to show works of older artists as well. But then, you know, speaking to unexpected uh, situations that can arise, I recall they said something about you know, you go to put a sign on your door that says teen party and, you know, you can't, maybe that's problematic or you were emailing and saying, you know, I need you to sponsor alcohol for my, for my teen party. Yeah. yeah that maybe I can see that. Though they, they did get one. <laughs> yeah, they did. But Max of Aunt Linda had like a really sweet story about how, you know, everyone has an Aunt Linda who's like cool, but not so cool, dresses kind of funky, like you always liked going to her house. And he talks about how people will always come over and be like, oh, I have an Aunt Linda. And like, it's kind of like this speaks to everybody. Do yeah. you? I Do you guys have these Aunt Lindas? No. I do not. No. Yeah, no. no. Okay. Just... But I feel like I can picture her in my head. Like you kind of know what an, she's like that goofy aunt. Yeah. Yeah, I can kind of Maybe. picture. No, I, you know, I'm, just, I'm not, not trying to be too critical. I can definitely, I can definitely uh, imagine the proverbial Aunt Linda. Yeah, and it, it's like set the tone for the whole space. He like wrote a little poem that kind of describes what an, an Aunt Linda is like, but it also reflects on what they're doing with the space. How does this continued interest uh, that we're now focusing on uh, of these uh, apartment galleries sort of speak in, speak to a larger interest by people in the art world with finding alternative gallery spaces in general. I mean, I remember we, we were, I think we talked about a Taco Bell gallery on this show once upon a time, great episode. And, uh, you know, there are other, there are obviously other spaces that are kind of inhabiting, um, these, these buildings that are not traditionally thought of as gallery spaces. Yeah. So apartment galleries kind of play into this larger traction for artists to show in alternative spaces, spaces that aren't white cubes, spaces that kind of have their own history and don't have white walls and aren't in Chelsea or the Lower Side or, you know, off the beaten track. And, you know, they're attracting an audience who is really interested in art and passionate about art and going out of their way to see it which I think is really appealing to a lot of artists. Um, you know, a lot of these spaces give artists an opportunity to show outside of 
their traditional gallery shows and white cubes. So, for example, um, 56 Henry, which is an apartment gallery in Chinatown, um, launched with a show by a, an established artist, Polly Applebaum, which was awesome. Um, she was in the gallery space that day. There were these... Um, uh, she was stringing necklaces made of handmade beads that were hanging from the ceiling, and it was just awesome because it was, again, this type of event where everyone is um, crowded together in the space, almost like you're at a house party or something. Um, her openings are always so lively like that. Totally. It, it's so community-focused. Yeah, and, um, you know, at Teen Party at their first show, they had work by Peter Halley, which was an old work and another site-specific work, but then it was also um, hanging together with a young painter, Tracy Thomason. Yeah, so it was um, was an opportunity to show that work in a different context. Yeah, and they spoke about how Peter Halley, who Scott knew through being in, um, in you know art publishing for over a decade, but he was kind of enthused by the idea of showing in in a Bed-Stuy apartment. You know, and he had major shows going on at major galleries, but you know this was like something that was exciting to him so it's not just unheard of artists it's not just young artists it's all different kinds of artists that are you know really interested in trying new things and finding spaces where they don't have to do their signature work and can be more experimental Mm -hmm. and now it's time for our famous uh, white wine segment if you missed last episode we changed the rules a little bit so that you can uh talk about an exhibition you saw last week not something you're you're going to be seeing casey oh kick it off you can do it last week i saw the show of portia munson and i happened to write about it she has a new show at ppow on 22nd street in chelsea and it is really great one of the rooms is this um, installation she first did in the 90s, and it's filled with fake flowers and stuffed bunnies, and it's like this really kind of overpowering environment. Mine is also from last week. Um, I went to a panel at the New Museum. Um, new Museum and Rhizome just launched a new exhibition in the form of a mobile app. Um, through a company called Evo, and it's um, six virtual reality artist commissions that live in this app. It was awesome, all the artists presented, but um, what you can do is download the app. It's called First Look Artist VR, and I've been using it all day at my desk, which you've probably seen me. And I'm going to go to the Brooklyn Museum to uh, finally see the Marilyn Minter show way overdue. I've only heard great things about it. So that's all we have time for this week. Thanks for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. Five stars. Molly says five stars. Thanks for for coming back to the show. Thanks, Isaac. It's been a pleasure. And Casey, thanks for joining us again. Anytime. You sound like you really mean that. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next time. Our producer this week, as always, I keep saying it, never changes, editorial associate Abigail Kane, and the theme music, huge shock, it's by Broke for Free. Broke for Free.